In 2 Samuel chapter 22, beginning in verse 2, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, the God of my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn or the strength of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior, you save me from violence. I will call upon the Lord of whom is worthy to be praised. Shall I be saved from my enemies? And the church said, Amen. Remain standing. Amen. We're going to start off this morning by 511, the solid rock. Going to use this microphone here and try a different, little bit different sound out and see how that works for us. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. When darkness seems to hide his face, I rest on him unchanging grace in every high and stormy gale my anchor holds within the veil on Christ the solid rock I stand all other ground is sinking sand all other ground is sinking sand his oath is covenant his blood support me in the whelming flood when all around my soul gives way he then is all my hope and stay on christ the solid rock i stand all other ground is sinking sand all other ground is sinking sand when he shall come with trumpet sound oh may i then in him be found just in his righteousness alone fall less to stand before the throne on christ the solid rock i stand all other ground is sinking sand all other ground is sinking sand amen you may be seated 564 more about jesus Jesus, more and more about Jesus, more of His saving fullness, see more of 
his love who died for me more about jesus let me learn more of his holy will discern spirit of god my teacher be showing the things of christ to me more more about jesus more more about jesus more of his saving fullness see more of his love who died for me more about jesus on his throne riches and glory all is on more of his kingdom sure increase more of his coming prince of peace more more about jesus more more about jesus more of his saving fullness see more of his love who died for me there is a name i love to hear i love to sing his worth it sounds as music in my ear the sweetest name on earth oh how i love jesus oh how i love jesus oh how i love jesus because he first loved me it tells me of a savior's love who died to set me free it tells me of his precious blood the sinner's perfect plea oh how i love jesus oh how i love jesus oh how i love jesus because he first loved me it tells me what my father has in store for every day and though i dread a darksome path you'll sunshine all the way oh how i love jesus oh how i love jesus oh how i love jesus because he first loved me it tells of one whose loving heart can fill my deepest woes and with each sorrow bears a part that none can bear below oh how i love jesus oh how i love jesus oh how i love jesus because he first loved me god we thank you so much Lord, we thank you for who you are for displaying your character god Lord, we thank you for taking the first step in showing us love. Lord, we thank you that we have the same opportunity to share love with the people around us. 
Lord, you have called us, uh, you have summed up all of the Old Testament in two things, and that is to love the Lord God and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Lord, I pray that you will help us to love. Lord, that when, when we come in contact with others, that we display your love and your, through your word. Um, Lord, I pray that you will help us uh, to um, commit ourselves to studying your word, applying its principles and precepts to our hearts and our lives, and, and displaying um, how you've changed us in our actions. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. I'm going to ask that you'll stand with me. We're not going to have an off tour this morning, uh, but I'm going to ask you to stand and sing this song with me. I sing praises. Hymn number 17. I sing praises to your name. Oh, Lord, praises to your name. Oh, Lord, for your name is great and great. I sing praises to your name, oh Lord, praises to your name, oh Lord, for your name is great and greatly to be praised. I give glory, I give glory to your name, oh Lord, glory to your name. great and greatly to be praised. I give glory to your name, O oh Lord, glory to your name, O oh Lord, for your name is great and greatly to be praised. You may be seen. and adore you, glorify thy name in all the and adore you. Glorify thy name in all the earth. Glorify thy name. Glorify thy name. Glorify thy name in all the earth. and adore you. 
Thank you so much that we have the honor and we have the privilege to glorify your name, to make much of you. And we pray, Jesus. Amen. this one up a little bit and the people are saying no, no, no it's good where it is there we go thank you wow I feel like we just could do a redo <laughs> I, I enjoy worshiping Jesus this morning and the songs that have been selected and as we do every Sunday and I'm, I enjoyed I looked over there no one time and he was just playing with one hand and I can't do that I can do old MacDonald with one hand, and that's about it. Thank you, Noah. Thank you, Marianne. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, Jacob. Thank you, Sarah. Um, thank you for leading us in a time of worship, leading us to the throne. As I think about my own life and um, how um, I mess up so easily, not that I want to, but I do, and how perfect my Savior is. And uh, more and more about Jesus on his throne. More and more about Jesus. And that just phrase just captivated my mind of him. And I hope it's done the same thing to you, that you can glorify his name in all the earth. That it is the earth that is to give praises to God. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. So if you would take your copy of God's Word. Whether you have it on an app on your phone or whether it's a soft cover or a hardback and you want to follow it on the wall, it was in the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, as the author was writing this letter to the group of believers who had a background in the Jewish culture, that's what their ancestors were, were Jewish people. They had come out of the Jewish culture. They were born again. However, they were being persecuted by the fellow Jews. And it was pretty tough for them. And so the writer was writing to encourage a group of believers who had a Jewish background who had become weary in their walk with Christ. And so this author was writing to encourage and also to warn them to stay the path. Don't veer off. 
keep the path of your journey in Christ going straight. And he tells a story in Hebrews chapter 11 of the heroes of the faith. And as he begins to call out one and explains and another one and explains and gets to the point he can't do any more explaining. He just calls by name of these people who responded to God in faith of who the world was not worthy of them. And so it goes on in chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking, on Jesus, looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of God. He said, I give you all these illustrations of the Old Testament saints so that you won't become weary, that you continue with this laser-sharp spiritual focus. There were five times in Hebrews, and we have looked at these, that these people were warned that not to drift from the Word of God out of neglect. Because if they drifted, they were going to neglect, and it would lead to doubting God's Word and developing a hard heart. This in, would re this in return would cause them to be dull of God's Word and become sluggish, lazy in their walk which would cause them to despise God's Word, living in, to live in willful disobedience, and become defiant in their attitude. The author mentions here in verse 1, the sin in which so easily ensnares us. Now, I don't know if the author ever identified that sin, but we know our Achilles heel we know the temptation that grabs us repeatedly. And it's that Achilles heel that we recognize that we're tempted. And as the scripture says, all of mankind is tempted with temptation. And so since we recognize our Achilles heel, we're to take drastic, severe measures in order to break ties with that temptation. We know it's there. We just need to allow Jesus to conquer. Some moments is good. Some moments we fall prey to that Achilles seal of temptation. But dealing with any temptation, deal with it very seriously. Now look with me. This is where our concentration comes in verse 11. It's kind of a carryover from last Sunday night as we looked at three other passages that used the word in the English language, nevertheless. Now, in the Greek New Testament, it may use the word but or on the account of, but here in the English, what we read, it says nevertheless. In verse 11, the author writes, Now, no chastening or discipline seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, 
after it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Now, since we have read this, and automatically the word chastening comes out, and also literally means discipline. To me, there's two different meanings of the word discipline. One is the one in which you are reading here is the one in which some type of action is being taken in form of correction. We know what that is like. Um, we know the, what that's like to be disciplined by a parent or by parents or by um, a boss or by a school teacher or by a principal. We know what that is, some type of disciplinary action to correct our behavior. But there's another meaning to the word discipline. It's that self-control. It is that consistent, laser-focused mindset. You know, you've heard it before, man, that's a disciplined individual in their work. Or that's a disciplined athlete. That person has laser focus. They're consistent in what they do. They're self-control. They know in order to complete their task, there are things which they cannot engage in in order to complete what they're doing. And so the author says here in verse 11, now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present. So that leads us to our long title, A Loving Father to a disciplined spiritual athlete. Once again, a loving father to a disciplined spiritual athlete. And allow the scripture to explain this title. As it says in verse 11, now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present. Now there's a broad meaning to this term here, chastening. From one definition is from a parental standpoint where a child is being instructed with the intent of forming certain habits that will move that child towards maturity. That's what godly parents do. We're not our children's very best friend. We're far from it. We're that disciplinary one that has to do the rough thing. You know, you've heard your parents say, this is going to hurt me worse than it's going to hurt you. I don't know, but from, from the other end of it, it hurt pretty good. But then when I became a parent, I understood. Tanya and I and Wes were facing the Gulf of Mexico and the White Sands there in Destin. And there was this mother with her parents and her little child. And he started running off and she called for him and he didn't come. So she went to him and she disciplined him. She put her hand on his rear end and patted him. Well, not my water over. And we all laughed. He cried. That must have been the worst thing that day had ever happened to him, but it corrected him. Even though it wasn't as painful as it could have been, we all just looked at each other and went, that wasn't bad. That needed to be worse. And, but it corrected him in that manner and got him back going in the correct direction. So when we look at it from a parental standpoint, a godly parent, is going to correct a child with the intentions of moving that child's attitude and actions towards maturity. 
Now a Jewish father in the day especially in which this was written, it was a father's responsibility to train the child, educate the child, to discipline the child. And so when you take this broad definition, it means to train, to correct, to cultivate, to educate. But there's another meaning, biblical meaning, to this as well. It's what you and I practice growing up. It's called the one-armed dance. It's called whipping, scourging, to punish. That's what the other meaning is. There's nothing wrong with a spanking on the backside. It's biblically okay. Now, we're not talking about abuse. We're talking about discipline, chastising on a biblical definition of it. So what can we learn about chastening or discipline that can move us to maturity? Well, as we look at the Scriptures beginning in verse 5, as we back up as what is being said in verse 11, we find some words of wisdom from a very wise man by the name of Solomon. And he speaks this in verse 5, or is quoted in verse 5. says here, My son, do not despise the chastening or disciplining of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by Him. So if we're looking at a title this morning, a loving father to a disciplined spiritual athlete, one thing we're going to be looking at here is that God deals with us as an adult standing child. It's a mouthful. Let me repeat that. God deals with us as adult standing children. From verse 5 through verse 8, depending on what type of version you have, the word son or sons is used here as well as children is used multiple, multiple times. Now when a person responds in faith to the conviction of the Holy Spirit over their particular sin of unbelief and their need for a personal Savior in Jesus Christ. That person responds in faith through repentance and places their faith in a risen Savior that that person becomes a child of God. And in that being a child of God, in a spiritual sense, they're also an infant in the faith. And they're going to move towards maturity in their growth. However, they have an adult standing before God. That doesn't mean that they have to wait to a certain age in order to start gaining the resource that God has provided for us as believers. The moment a person says yes to Christ, the spiritual resources are there. It's just how much resources does that person want to utilize of what's been given to them by God through His Spirit. So we have an adult standing as a child, that we stand before him as adults. Even though we may be childlike in the faith, an infant in the faith will eventually grow up. But we have an adult standing spiritually before God. So God deals with us as adult standing children. And it says here, my son... 
Do not despise the discipline or chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by Him. So it leads to a second fact, and it's this. Chastening is normal for believers. That doesn't mean that whenever you're being disciplined by God, that God hates you. God loves you. And the scripture goes on to say in verse 6, not my word, but someone with great wisdom says, for whom the Lord, what? For whom the Lord loves, he does what? Chastens. So chastening is normal for believers. So when we are being chastened, disciplined by God, is our responsibility, says in verse 5, not to despise the discipline, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by Him. So it is normal for a believer to be disciplined by God. I remember one time there was a temptation I fell prey to, and God took me to the woodshed on it. And after about the second or third day, I said, Lord, I just need mercy. And in that moment, God let up. And it is normal. And I think back through, well, I'll get back there to that in a minute at the end of the message. But God is warning us to move farther and farther away from our sin and from farther and farther from things that will hurt us and draw us away from Him. When you and I feel guilty, just nasty, unclean, we feel terrible, we don't want to be around, we're totally embarrassed, nobody else knows this, this is just a private thing in our life between ourselves and God, and yet He, through His Spirit, He is not letting up one bit. It is to remind us of the consequences of our actions. It's also to remind us of what it costs. You keep going in this direction, the consequences are going to get greater. But if you'll take it for what it is right here and not despise it, don't look down upon it, don't become impatient, don't become discouraged. Take what God has given through disciplinary actions and allow it to take its course in order to refine you, to rebuke you, to keep you from making the same mistake again. So once again, just out of verse 5 and 6, God deals with us as adult standing children. Also, chastening is normal for believers. We also find something else here that God disciplines those who belong to Him. We've already quoted it out of verse 6. For whom the Lord what? He and scourges every son whom He receives. So it's normal for the Holy Spirit to convict you and to work you over. There's a spiritual reason for that. But also it's God's disciplinary action to those who belong to Him. Now there are people out in the world who do not give honor to God, do not show gratitude towards Him, and in His passive wrath allows that person to go more into more into more lawlessness to now that they're making a big deal over something that they have created, not the one who is the Creator. 
And so he gives them over to their sin and they applaud one another in their lawlessness. That is a passive wrath of God. It's like God has, it is God, not like, it is. God just sits back and says, go ahead. Go from one area of lawlessness to another. However, verse 6, For whom the Lord loves, He disciplines, He chastens, and scourges every son whom He receives. And He says in verse 7, If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. Endure the chastening because God is dealing with you as a child, a son, an adult standing child. And for what son is there whom a father does not chasten? Talking about an earthly father does discipline their own children. But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, listen to this, you are illegitimate and not sons. If an individual does not experience disciplinary actions by the Spirit of God, God calls that person illegitimate. Now, if you, got, if you have the King James Version, and there's nothing wrong with that, there's a word in there, and I'm not going to say it, but from a biblical standpoint, it's way harder in the vocabulary than what I just read in illegitimate. That's kind of soft. And you know what I'm talking about if you read it. An illegitimate child is one whose parents are not married to each other. An illegitimate child is one in that culture in which the child received no discipline, no attention, no education, no inheritance, and no recognition that came along with being a genuine child. So if an individual on the face of the earth today, yesterday, and the Lord gives us tomorrow, doesn't experience any type of disciplinary action by God, that's severe. To the point that God says, you are illegitimate. You're not mine. Now you'll hear this saying, oh, we're all God's children. Wrong. I didn't say that. I'm just repeating what the Scripture says. God is the creator of the poor and the rich. He is creator of all mankind, but He is not the Father of every individual. The Scripture just plainly puts it out here. So if the individual has not experienced any type of disciplinary actions over sin that's being committed... That person is described, and go look at it in the King James Version, here it says illegitimate. You're not his. You're on your own. You're having to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. That's a metaphor. And that only gets you so far because it's your efforts. His children, his children get discipline in order to refine their walk with him as a father, in order to move them towards maturity. It's also a work of holiness. Look with me, with me in verse 10. For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he 
for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. It is part of our holy walk with God, that separate walk, set apart walk that we have with God. As he said in 1 Peter, as we went through that letter, he is holy, so we are to be holy. He is separated from sin. We are to be separated from sin. We are to live a holy life. In order for us to live that holy life, God puts His hand heavy on us through His Spirit to discipline us. To discipline us in order to refine us, to strengthen us, to move us to maturity. But also there's something else about this disciplinary action. It's painful. And there's a part of me wants you to just go, duh. But it is. How many of you, when mom and dad or grandmother or grandfather or even the next door neighbor, it was back in the day, it won't be today if people take you to court. But when you got that spank, you know, that felt pretty good. Man, I mean, I tell you what, I look forward to that all day. I mean, that was a blessing. Well, it really was a blessing in disguise. But how many times do you hear, you just wait till your daddy gets home? And then daddy drives up, and you run off. I remember the last spanking I got at age of 12. In Hattiesburg, it was lightning and thundering. Dad told me to get out of the dugout, get in the vehicle. I did not. Eventually, I did. He says, when you get home, you're getting it. And I knew he was going to give it. So right there in front of God and my grandfather, he gave it. A 12-year-old do with a one-arm dance. You know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about, right? Where you hold on with one arm, you try and dance around your pan, and you're like, you move, I'm going to get your legs too. Every one of you are laughing here because you know it did you good. It wasn't out of a mean heart or a mean spirit. It wasn't out of an abusive parent. It was out of a godly influence to put pain on you to correct you. It is painful. Look what the author says. He just is Captain Obvious here. No chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but what? Painful. It is painful in order to break our ties away from that habit and that attitude that comes with the habit in order to move us in Christ's likeness. But there's also something else. There's a starting point, there's an ending point to disciplinary actions. But painful. Nevertheless, afterward, meaning that at some point, it stops. It has a starting point and it has an ending point. You also have to remember, if you become so disobedient in your walk and you don't want to listen to God anymore and only to yourselves, He'll take you out. There is a sin unto death. And what is it? I don't know. But it is a sin unto death. Discipline has a starting point and an ending point. Discipline also produces rewards. After all this disciplinary action takes place, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. I want to look at a cross-reference in James chapter 3, verse 16. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, 
willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness sown by peace by those who make peace. So this ending part or these rewards, I shouldn't say ending, these rewards that come from being disciplined produces the fruit of right living in our life, that it makes us look like the likeness of Christ. But in order to move us there, it's painful. I like how one individual describes it in our congregation. The older I get, the more pickier God gets. And what that person is saying is the more I grow in Christ, I realize how much God wants me to be transformed into the likeness of His Son. And it does seem like God is being picky, but His hand is very heavy. There's another word here that ties into our title. It's in the latter part of verse 11. Afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. This is where we get our word gymnasium from and that word trained. So in that day and time in the first century, when somebody went to the gym, they were preparing themselves for some type of athletic event. They were training themselves to the very best of their ability in order to do well in that athletic event. This is the language in which the author is using here for us as spiritual Athletes, You may not have any mobility or any athletic ability whatsoever, but as a spiritual individual, you can still train like an athlete, but spiritually. So we train vigorously. We train very demanding. We have a very strenuous discipline by which we walk with Christ. I know some of you are thinking the same thing. Well, Describe some disciplinary action so I can get in tune with this because it is painful. In Genesis chapter 20, Abraham repeated another, repeated a sin called lying. He told his wife, Sarah, who had the fountain of youth, she was a very beautiful lady, even in the older age. And they went into an area, and, Obama, and they told Abimelech, she is my sister. Now, that was a half-truth and a half-lie, because really in that culture a thousand years ago, that, that really was his half-sister, but he did not tell Abimelech that was his wife. Abimelech had a dream and God was going to punish him if he didn't follow through with it. Because of Abraham lying and being in the presence of this king in order not for the seed to be messed with inside of um, Sarah at some point, that their wounds there under Abimelech were closed. And so when Abimelech comes to Abraham and tells him, Abraham has to pray for him that their wounds would be opened. Second time to lie. Second time to the woodshed. And God disciplined him. It wasn't by spanking on the rear. It was by the actions of being rebuked. David lied. Committed adultery. Committed premeditated murder. And the child that came from he and Bathsheba on the death of Uriah the Hittite and this adulterous affair God took. David once again took a 
took a what is it a I can't my words not coming he took a um, a vote or a vote or a number of his fighting men and God took that along with something else that was supposed to take place among the fighting men and the angel of the Lord killed what 75,000 you had to go back in the scripture and look at there toward the end of second Samuel thing 70,000 people. What about Simon Peter? Many years after Pentecost, he is having a meal with Gentiles who are now believers. And now if I say Gentile Christians, more emphasis is put on Gentiles than it is Christians. Some will say Christians who had a background of being Gentiles. So he could eat fried pork chops, baked or grilled pork chop, fried fish, grilled catfish or fried catfish. He could eat these non-kosher foods now because he recognized that what God has made don't call anything unclean. However, these group of Jews had come up from Jerusalem began to look at Simon Peter what was going on as he fellowshiped with the believers who had a Gentile background and he slowly began to backpedal from them. And then when Apostle Paul came up and saw Apostle Peter with his actions, rebuked him in front of everyone, along with Barnabas. It wasn't a spanking, it was a physical rebuke. So it comes in many shapes and flavors. It's not just one set area by which we are disciplined by God, but it is painful. It can be through reading the Scripture. It can be watching someone else in action and the Spirit of God goes, you did the same thing. How does that look? It doesn't look good. And I'm guilty. And that's what we say and that's what we do. And so in that teachable moment that we were indirectly affected, it convicted us of biblical truth that we hadn't followed through with. Or we're singing a song that's based on Scripture and we go, whoa. Or we hear a sermon or we hear something said from the pulpit of Scripture and we go, whoa, that's got me. And then there's other times when God just absolutely gets our attention in some unique way and it's painful and it hurts. But it's out of Come on, say it, church. It's out of love. Because those who belong to Him are His. And those who are not are illegitimate. So once again, look, read with me, or along with me, not read out loud, but read with, along with me silently. Now in verse 11, no chastening, no discipline seems to be joyful <laughs> for the present but painful. Nevertheless, after it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Let's go to Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, myself along with other believers here, we say thank you Thank you for your word that teaches us, that instructs us, that disciplines us. Thank you that your spirit is heavy on us through working in us 
rebuking us, giving their warning lights through our conscience. Lord, thank you for allowing us to have an adult standing before you as your child. And Lord, that discipline actions are painful. They hurt, but they are with reason. Your reasons why. Lord, may we not despise nor be discouraged or become impatient when we are rebuked or when we are disciplined. But we, Lord, that we would be thankful that we are called your children and not illegitimate. Thank you for adopting us into your family through your death and resurrection of your son, Jesus. Lord, as we pause now in our prayer to take a spiritual inventory, as you stand before God spiritually right now, are you his child or are you an illegitimate child? the Spirit's leading you recognize that you're an illegitimate child in His presence. You know Him as Creator, but you don't know Him as Lord. Christ took your sin to the cross and wrote a certificate of debt and has wiped it clean. He just wants you to confess your unbelief and repent. Change your mind of your behavior and your actions and your attitude and place your faith in a risen Savior so you can be adopted into His family and experience His love. Would you do that now? For you as a born-again believer, drive, pull up the hard drive. You can't go through all the experiences in this moment of time, but what are those one or two times that God has disciplined you? Thank Him for it because it was out of His love for you. He refused to allow you to stay in that particular part of fellowship, but wanted to break that sin in order to draw you closer into His fellowship. Thank Him for it now silently. May we not despise and look down upon this discipline by which we go through, but allow us to endure it, as the Scripture says, knowing that nevertheless, afterward, it produces a harvest, a fruit of righteousness. And in your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. 
If you need to talk, Jason is here. I am here. There's other believers here that would love to talk with you, pray with you. We'd ask that if you're under strong conviction, don't you dare leave till you talk to another believer. I'm trying to remember, brother, was there something I was supposed to say? I think, I don't know. You'll take care of it. Thank you, Brother Barry. It's, um, you know, it's always a hard thing to come to the conclusion that we actually need discipline. It's not a comfortable thing. And sometimes we need to be out of our comfort zone, that we need to grow. And, and uh, there are times where I need correction, and the Lord is willing and able to do that. Uh, and there's a time for that. I'm going to ask that you'll stand with me. I've got a couple of announcements, and then we're going to close with a chorus. Uh, note that as we go out, we will have an opportunity to give tithes and offerings on the right-hand side. There's an offering plate there. Uh, so if you'd like to participate in that, that's how you can do that. Also, um, out of respect for one another, and there are people here that, that want to maintain six feet of distance and uh if as you go out the door we're going to uh, exit with the people from the back we'll be exiting first and once they clear we'll we'll have the next row and the next row uh as well so try not to you know move up close to people and also as we go out the door if you can actually keep the the front area right there kind of clear that will make it where people don't have to kind of weave in 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 amongst a bunch of people shoulder to shoulder to get out that would be greatly appreciated so we're going to close with the course uh, more about jesus Jesus, more.